Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 3. We only have 60 minutes left, so I'll hurry. Acts chapter 3. Stick there with me. We're going to be in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 today. And uh, at the end of the message, we're going to have a time of prayer together. Two weeks ago, I began a series entitled, The Church is at its Best When. In week one, I preached that the church is at its best when Jesus is spoken about, is preached, is taught in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told the disciples, wait here, don't do a thing until you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. In week two, which was last week, the church is at its best when we preach Jesus is both Lord and Christ. That Jesus is not only our Savior, not only our Lord, but he is the one that anoints us with the Holy Spirit and gives us the power to witness. This morning, week three, well, that's, that's to be determined. I'm sure it will become obvious before I get to the end of the message, but it is yet to be determined. Today we're going to look at the results. What begins to happen when a church is empowered by the Holy Spirit? There's always been a fair amount of debate, even in the church, never mind outside of the church, outside of the faith. But there's always been a fair amount of debate regarding the supernatural in, in church or in church life. Bless you. Many of us feel this way. I'd like to see more miracles, but it just doesn't seem to happen like it did back in the good old days. You know, back in the times of Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament. What usually follows up that is this. Is there something wrong? Why aren't we seeing more of the supernatural? Why aren't we seeing more miracles? Why aren't we seeing the Spirit move in different ways. In fact, I was visiting with a family, uh, I don't know, about 10 days ago, and we were sitting in their backyard just chatting it up a little bit, you know, five o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, one, that, that came up. Hey, pastor, how come we just don't see more of that? It's a good question. People discuss this. We know that the Bible teaches that there are gifts of, of the Spirit. There are gifts of healing. Not just gift of healing, but the Bible says gifts of healing. There's working of, of miracles. Should we continue to expect that? We know that it happened again back in the New Testament days of, of the first century. But today, should we expect to see that people are gifted to heal other people, to operate in the supernatural? Or is just this something solely that God does? You know, we pray on a Sunday morning and we just hope that God touches somebody. On the negative side, there's this. What about the healing evangelists on TV and on the web? Uh, some of them have been found to be fraudulent, and so they've created a lot of skepticism, even in me. We, we want to believe that, but we see sometimes how those things are abused, and it causes confusion and upsets us, and perhaps even sometimes damages the exercise of faith. And the catch-all is, well, you know, we, we spend a lot of time at our church praying for the sick, but, but not much happens. So... 
let's look at some scripture. Let's see if we can get ourselves grounded in scripture and see if we should still believe in miracles. Not only that they happened in the past, but that they can happen again. So Acts chapter 3, verse 1. I know many of you are familiar with the story, but I'm going to go through it in some detail with you today. So Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's been living with uh, the early church folk for 40 days. He's ascended into heaven. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And here we are now in Acts chapter 3. And the timeline is just, it's somewhere after these events. We don't know if it's, it's days after Acts 2, or it's weeks after Act two, Acts 2, or it's months after the day of Pentecost, because it simply says this, one day. There's no time reference given to it, it's just one day. So something that is happening in the early church. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon, right? You have to remember, as I mentioned last week, that they don't really understand the, the concept of church yet. They are the church, but they don't really know what that means. Um, we know that Acts 2 tells us that they were meeting together in their homes and breaking bread and fellowshipping and sharing God's word. They were doing all of the stuff that you would expect to see in a house church or in what today we might call a small group. They're doing all of that stuff. But they were still Jewish. And it was their custom to go to the temple for times of prayer. And so on this afternoon, at three in the afternoon, Peter and John find themselves going to the temple for a time of prayer. Verse 2. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Now, again, I often tell the Bible study groups, don't, don't blow through Scripture. Don't be in such a hurry to get to the end of the chapter to mark that you got the chapter read, that you miss all the good stuff, right? So the good stuff is this. This man, it's been his custom since he was very young because he's been crippled from birth. But at, probably at some time at, when he became an adult and either his parents had passed away or his parents weren't taking responsibility for him or nobody in the family was taking responsibility for him, sometime later in his life, he had to have people carry him to this gate called Beautiful in order to beg, in order to find some coin so that he could live every day. Nobody was taking care of him. And so that the best people thought that they could do for him, friends or family, was to drop him off near the gate called Beautiful and beg for money. We're, we're told in history that this gate was the biggest and, as you would expect, the most beautiful of all of the gates that gave you access to the temple. And so it was apparently just absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. It had the gold, it had the silver, it had the precious jewels. It was bigger than the other gates, you know, somewhere, I think the scholars think somewhere around 75 feet high, and, you know, and about on the width, about two-thirds to three-quarters of the width 
that it had on the height. It was just this massive, massive gate. So beautiful gate, lots of room for people to get access to the courts to work their way into the position, right? Whether you were a Gentile, the court of the Gentiles, whether you were a woman, the court of the women, or if you were a man, what they called the court of Israel. So they're dropping him off there, and he's begging for money. But you'll notice that it says that Peter and John command his attention, look at us. Because likely what would be happening is this, is that he might have, I don't know, you know, if it was today, it'd be a guitar case and he'd be playing, or maybe it'd be a baseball cap and he'd be asking people to throw money in. I don't know if he just had his hand out or if he had some leather bag or whatever it was that he had, but he basically wouldn't look at people. People would walk by, they would see him, and if they were so moved, they would drop some coin in. They didn't want to make eye contact with him, and he didn't really want to make eye contact with them because it's, it's humbling asking for money. And for those of us that have some money, we don't always want to look people that are asking for money in the eyes. Now, you've seen this in some of the cities, right? In our day and age, we have people going to the, uh, the intersections and they're standing near the lights or they're standing at a ramp that's taking them off or taking them onto another road. You see them around Windsor, you see them in Detroit. If you've been to London and you're going down to Wellington Street, you see them all the time at Wellington and Commissioners. They're there all the time. And so we see this and, and occasionally we are moved to give something. But probably, and I'm guessing what some of us are moved to do is this. If they're there on the left, we're this. Or we're this. Because we're not sure we want to do that. Karen and I were at uh, one of the festivals, the Rib Fest, uh, down by the river uh, in Windsor. And as we were coming out, Karen had some leftovers, right? Brent did not. Okay. <laughs> Ribs were awesome. So we're coming out of that area, and as we're working our way to, like, you know, go back and, and get the car... One of the guys that's down there, he's not asking for money. He literally asked for Karen's leftovers. Kind of freaked us out a little bit. Because I'm thinking like, like, you know, her lips have been on some of that. Her hands have been on some of that. Like if I was a stranger, I don't know if I'd want any of that. I'd much rather give somebody some coin than kind of some of my leftover food, right? So, I mean, we know that there are people in need. We know that there are lots of people that have legitimate needs. And sometimes when they're asking for money, another thought that occurs in our minds, right? Well, what are they going to do with it? Is it drugs? Is it alcohol? Those kinds of things. So, and I mean, as Christians, we want to do the right thing. We do. None of us in this room has a hard heart. None of us in this room is cheap. We just, we want to do the right thing. And most of the people walking by this guy, where they see him crippled, they want to do the right thing, at least those who want to give. But there's kind of this unwritten rule that we don't look at each other, we don't stare at one another, we don't lock eyes with one another. So the man is there, Peter and John are going into the temple. My guess is this, that they've seen him before. Did any of you ever think about that? It says that they dropped him off at the gate called Beautiful. How often? every day now the temple area is a big area and there's lots of gates that can take you into the temple courts but my guess would be that if peter and john found their way through the gate called beautiful this time that it was uh, an entrance that they had used in the past and my guess is um, whenever they were in jerusalem 
for the feast times that they would have seen him there. Now, they're Galileans, right? They're not in Jerusalem all of the time, but they're Galileans. But they would be required to go to the temple and worship three times a year because they're Jewish men. So my guess is that they must have seen this guy before. This isn't a first time, but it's the first time they noticed him. It's not the first time they saw him. It's the first time they noticed him. And it's the first time that they noticed him that they felt that maybe they had something to give him that could help, that could really help. So let's read it again. Verse 3. When he, meaning the beggar, saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So he's asking for money. Peter looks at him, but Peter says, look at us, which means and implies he wasn't really looking at him. He asked for money, but again, he wasn't making eye contact. He said, look at us, and, and he did, and he gave them his attention, expecting to get something. And then Peter says this. This is not what the cripple wanted to hear. Silver or gold, I don't have. I don't have what you're looking for. I don't have any money. It's probably true. These guys weren't walking around with a strong cash flow at this time. But what I have, I give you, and in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. So Peter is doing the talking. So Peter is doing this. He helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all of the people, all the people in the temple courts, saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. See, they had noticed him before too. Maybe some had donated, some hadn't, but they had seen him enough that they had recognized him. And it says that they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him because he was completely healed. So, it's a prayer time at the temple. Peter and John are going to the temple at three o'clock in the afternoon. And this man who was never named for us, not in chapter 3, and not even when we pick up the story again in chapter 4, he is never named for us. A man is at the temple gate called Beautiful, begging for food or for money, something that he's done every single day, probably of his adult life. People have walked back and forth time and time again. Some have donated, some have assisted but obviously, if he's there every day, he's only getting enough for the day's events. So, Peter and John come this day. We don't know if it's the first time they're there or if it's one of many for sure. But we certainly know that they had never really stopped to look at the guy. So this man that has been crippled from birth who was not identified is asking for money. The Bible says that he's asking out loud for money. But again, they're not making eye contact. But Peter says, look at us. And the Bible says then that he gives them his full attention. Now, the cripple thinks that he's going to get some coin. But then Peter immediately says, look, 
I don't have any of that stuff to give you. He's probably thinking, even though this is happening in moments, he's probably thinking, well, if you don't have money for me, maybe you have some food for me. But whatever it is, he's not thinking about what Peter's going to say next. And without asking him for permission, he doesn't say, by the way, could I pray for you? Would you mind if we took a moment for prayer? He looks straight at the guy and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He reaches out with the right hand, grabs him and picks him up. And immediately his, his, his legs and his ankles are strengthened. And the next thing you know, He's running like a crazy man through the temple courts, jumping up and down, praising God because he can walk. He was looking for a temporary fix, and God gave him a permanent fix. And so we look at times like that, and we ask ourselves, would it be such a bad thing if things like that happened today? Wouldn't it be great if God kept doing stuff like that today? And people will say this, well, God is doing stuff like that. There's reports of God doing it here, and there's reports of God doing it there, and all of that. And we say, well, that's, that's great, and that's fine, that's wonderful. But what we're looking for is for God to do it here, amongst us. So the man, the cripple, was looking for a few coins for a few days of food and water, and then he'd be back again the next day, or in Jesus' name, he could get up and walk and work forever. There's a story told. We're not sure if it's 100% accurate, but it's been repeated time and time again through the centuries. According to a guy named Cornelius Alapide, he speaks and writes about Thomas Aquinas, who in the 13th century was a Catholic priest and scholar. And the story goes like this, that Thomas Aquinas once called upon the Pope at the time, Pope Innocent II, when apparently this Pope was counting out large sums of money that the Roman Church had been acquiring. And apparently the Pope said to Thomas, the Church can no longer say silver and gold have I none. And Thomas quipped back almost immediately, true, Holy Father, was the reply, but neither can we say, rise and walk. And that should bother us. If we believe that Acts 1 and 2 set the church up, to be endued with power. Acts chapter 3 and the chapters that follow are the results of what God said he was going to do in Acts 1 and specifically what he did in Acts 2 and then in subsequent places. We know that the Bible teaches in passages of Scripture like 1 Corinthians 14 and Romans 12 and, and in other places, that God gives gifts to his church. 
we know that God is a healer. We know that Jesus was anointed to heal the prophecy that comes to us from Isaiah 61. And we know that Jesus empowered his apostles to carry on the ministry, not only the 12, but others in the first century as well. But as we track history, it seems that we start off with a bang and then we just kind of run out of supernatural power almost immediately. And we are not so sure if we can say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And yet we need to be able to do that, and we ought to be able to do that, and we should be able to do that. So then we ask ourselves, what is it that the church needs to do to regain what seems like, at least in part, if not in whole, to recover that which we feel like we may have lost? Well, the first answer, obviously, is that we need to be a people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And I don't just mean, you know, people who can speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God enables them. That's part of it. But to be filled with the Spirit. It's the Apostle Paul's preaching later on in the book of Ephesians where he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, to keep on being filled with the Spirit. And that, that idea there is teaching us that it's a continual feeling, a filling, that we are continually offering ourselves to God. We are offering ourselves to God that He might fill us. It's important to understand how the Greek is, is worded there. It's said in such a way that we are willingly offering ourselves to God so that He could fill us. The filling comes from Him, but we are to be responsive recipients of what God wants to do in us. And so in Acts chapter 3, you have two men, one of which was accused of not that many weeks ago about running away from a servant girl when, when being asked about Jesus, to now that he has preached the gospel in Acts 2, over 3,000 people have been saved, and now as the leader of this pair, him and John, he's out and he sees a guy crippled, and we don't know what the Spirit says to him, but we have to believe this, that when he sees the guy, the Spirit of God drops in his heart, Peter, you need to pray for this guy. Or you need to heal this guy. I don't know how the Spirit would have said it. But let's remember this, right? Peter and John are on their way to the temple. The function is this. We've got to get to the courts of the temple in order to spend some time in prayer. It's 3 o'clock. That's what we do. This guy is along the way. They weren't thinking about doing this when they got there. It wasn't until they got there and they saw him that somehow or another the Spirit of God arrests their attention and says something like this. Do something for this guy. And without hesitation, again, Peter doesn't ask permission to pray for him. He literally reaches down, and this man rises to his feet, and is immediately he is strengthened, and the cripple who has been crippled from birth is healed. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Now, I want you to know that nobody has a more vested interest in seeing Christ as healer than I do. Most of you are aware of our family's needs. We have a son who is battling cancer for the third time. And it has been a struggle. Mostly for him, but also for us. 
because this is number three since 2015. So in four years, this is third time through. And we have appreciated all that doctors have done. It's interesting that the guy that writes the book of Acts, his name is Luke, right? What's Luke do? He's a physician, right? So even back in the first century, there was, you know, God bless the physicians, God bless the medicines, God bless the things that they can do. I mean, I, you know, I'm thankful for doctors and nurses and for science and for all of the things that they can do and how they try to heal things and alleviate pain. I, I have nothing but respect for them and for you if you're one of those people today. But what we've also recognized is this, that they can only do so much. They just, they don't have solutions for everything. And it's unfortunate sometimes we care about these things only when we're in the midst of a crisis, when we feel like our head's stuck in the middle of a vice. But there are more families than just the Horner family that are addressing these things. Right, Nellie? And I can name others. We know that John is in and has been in the struggle for his life for these past how many months now? Five and a half. I was going to say six. So it's not just us. And we have been praying. We have prayed as a church. We've prayed in the room. The family has prayed. We've prayed as a church. We've prayed in a room. And our family has prayed. You've prayed in the church. You've prayed in a room. And your family has prayed. And we recognize that many of our prayers seem to be going unanswered. And it's frustrating. And it's annoying. And it's a lot of other things. And we want to see these things happen again. And yes, it may be driven to some, to some extent by a selfishness because we need this now. But we also understand this, that because this crippled man was healed, that the gospel, again, took hold and, and spread like fire through the streets and the buildings of Jerusalem. So, a couple of things that I just want to deal with real quick about where the church needs to be. As a board and as a building committee, we have spoken to you recently about improving the building. We stand by the need to do that, to improve the facility and to improve the opportunity for ministry and in some ways just to be physically more 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 attractive to those that are in the community. But it, but it always comes down to this. You can have nice facilities, and you can have nice songs, and you can have a functional building and bright lights and a big parking lot, but if we don't have the power of Jesus, the rest of it really doesn't matter, does it? It really doesn't matter. But here's what I believe. I believe that we can walk and chew bubblegum at the same time. In other words, we can multitask. We can do that, and we can still be a place, a temple of the Holy Spirit, the naos of God individually and corporately, that when people come looking for help, God is there, God shows up, Spirit things 
happen way beyond a prophetic word that is given by your pastor on a Sunday morning. Trusting that is encouraging to you, but way beyond that. To me, that is just, that is just a slice of pie or it's the tip of the iceberg. We can take care of the facility, grow the church through meaningful strategies, and stay humble enough to believe and practice that Jesus is Lord, Christ, and healer. That the message is strong, that the focus is on Jesus. You can imagine, as I've said earlier, at this time in our life, with our son's life in the balance, there are few people who want, need, and praise for healing like our family does. Or perhaps this morning, like your family does. Money can't buy us healing. Although hospitals are trying, a refreshed sanctuary isn't going to make the miraculous more likely to happen. So how does this happen? Peter says, it is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing. It's not rocket science. Let's keep preaching Jesus and believing in Jesus. We don't have another message. We don't have another means. We have and we have always had the person, the second person of the Trinity, and his name is Jesus. Peter makes it clear to these people that they didn't have the power to heal him. Look at Acts chapter 3, verse 12. Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Nobody in this building thinks that we can do this. Don't stare at us. Don't look to your pastors. Don't look to your board members that if by some of our own power or godliness that we could do that. It's in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that is given this complete healing to this cripple. Acts 4 and 13, they looked at Peter and John and they saw that they were Galileans, right? They were, they were nobodies, folks. Remember what I called them last week? The biblical name for them in the Greek translated into English is heck. When they, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary people, they were astonished and they had taken note that these men had been with who? They had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Let me say it a couple more times. They had been with Jesus. We have to be with Jesus. In order for something wonderful to happen, we need to know what it is to be with Jesus. It's important to note that Peter and John didn't preach Jesus as healer. They preached Jesus risen from the dead. The fact that people were being healed proved that the resurrected Savior was healing. Peter spends most of his time in the first few chapters of the book of Acts just reminding everybody that the guy that they crucified a couple of months ago that they thought was a criminal that didn't deserve it was now risen from the dead. And because he was risen from the dead, he could do anything. Because if you can be raised from the dead, if you're raised from the dead, everything else is easy. If you can hon uh, conquer sin, death, and the grave, healing a body is easy. If something that was dead can be made alive, then healing the body is easy. Peter and John made it clear that they didn't have any power of their own. Don't look at them. 
Later on, they're going to look at Paul and they think that he's somebody wonderful. And Paul says, don't look at me. It's Jesus. And when Jesus heals, it's undeniable. Very quickly, Acts 4, 14 to 22, the story is this. The, 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 the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the time, want Peter and John to shut up about this healing. But at the same time, they say this, but we cannot deny it happened. Because the guy has been crippled from birth. Everybody around here knows that. All kinds of people have been seen him at the temple, uh, at the gate called Beautiful. And so they've all seen that. And now they see him running around through the temple court, shouting and praising God. We can't deny that. And it goes on to say that at this time, he's over 40 years of age. There's no denying this. When Jesus heals, it's undeniable. When it's the real thing, it's undeniable. We have every right to be skeptical of some of the things that are claimed because some people have been fraudulent. But when Jesus heals, it's undeniable. When he does the real thing, you can't refute it. So, in conclusion, you and I can heal anybody. There are gifts of the Spirit that come from Christ to his church but it is certainly not by our own power or godliness. Peter made that clear. Secondly, Jesus heals. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that people are healed. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him. Third, healing happens when we preach Jesus. You don't necessarily have to preach healing, but if you preach Jesus, healings will happen. The apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and people were healed. Acts 4 and 9, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. His name is Jesus. And when Jesus heals, it is undeniable and irrefutable. Acts 4 and 16, everybody living in Jerusalem, every, I love this, right? These guys don't want to give more credit than they have to. They're not fans of Jesus, but even they say, everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. They're not even going to try how do you refute a guy that's been there for decades all of a sudden yelling and screaming and praising God through the temples? So we are clear, Jesus heals. It isn't about us, it's about him. There may be frauds out there, but Jesus isn't one of them. The church is at its best when it preaches Jesus is Lord and Christ, and because of that, Jesus is also healer. When we preach and teach about Jesus, believe in the power that comes through his name because he is the risen Savior, miracles will happen. So, whether it's through the pulpit, it's a Bible study, it's a small group, or it's just you talking to a friend, let's preach and teach Jesus as Lord, Christ, and healer. The same yesterday, today and forever. Let's stand together. Folks, it's simple. 
What I want to do, again, as I said earlier, is not rocket science. If you would like to be prayed for this morning because you or a loved one is not well, we're going to ask you to come to the front of the church and we're going to pray for you. And some of our leadership team is going to pray for you as well. And here's what I'd like you to do in your prayer time, whether you're coming for prayer for yourself or for someone else, or you're coming to pray for somebody. I'm asking you to do this. Do not make it like a good morning kiss goodbye. You know what I mean by that? When you're flying out of your house with a coffee in one hand and a piece of toast in the other, and you swing by your partner and you give him a peck on the cheek and you fly out the door, because it's got to happen fast. Let's take some time this morning to pray for one another. Let's take a few moments to actually stop, lay a hand, pray, okay? Pastor Adam is going to just create a nice, wonderful atmosphere of worship, but we're not asking you to break out in song. We're asking you to break out in prayer. So if you'd like to be prayed for this morning, I'm going to ask you now, before we do anything, just come to the front and make some room. Just stand in the middle. Just stand right in the middle here. Give us some room so that some of us can walk in front of you and some of us can walk behind you. So just in the middle, somewhere in the middle, you want to be prayed for. Or you want to pray for somebody that you know. So just a little bit forward so we can get in behind you. You guys are already not following instructions well. A little bit forward. A rebellious flock. Let's give you a few moments. Just gather in the middle. And some of our leadership team... Would you come as well? We've got oil already opened at the front. Oil is a point of contact. That's all it is. It's a point of contact. If you have a friend at the front, would you come and lay hands on them? Stand behind them, please, and lay hands on them. 